And we are back for yet another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. My name is Zach Corey, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Mr. Sambagarzade and Andres Velasco. How are you guys? We're good. I, I, I'm just wondering who we got to pay at the FA to get a decent draw. I mean, every single time <laughs> we're, we're getting the shit end of the stick while Man City is getting, you know, the Champion League. Who did they draw? Side. Newport? Yeah, I mean... That's not even a championship, so yeah. aren't they in, like, League 2? <laughs> League 2? The, the winner of that game, or in Middlesbrough, I think, gets to play City. Man, but, yeah, that's just oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, it must be so difficult. I would I would <laughs> much rather play uh, Tony Pula's side than Manchester United, but we don't always get what we ask for, I guess, right? Not not even close to that. <laughs> Especially hey. if your name's Callum Hudson-Odoi, you don't always get what you ask for, too. <laughs> no. no. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will get to that eventually later on in this episode. Um, but Sam, wh- wh- why don't you kick us off with this Spurs match? Yeah, I mean, going back into the you know the theme of getting the shit end of the draw, of course we drew Spurs in the semifinals of the Carabao Cup. Um, first leg, just to recap, lost uh, 1-0. So again, we needed to win this by two goals. Or go into penalties, which is what happened, and we were successful uh, in the penalty shootout, which was an amazing, amazing feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Just to get rid of Spurs, another London club, knocking them out of a, a tournament. I mean, that's just that's just the story of their entitled ex- <laughs> their entire existence, pretty much getting knocked out of. That uh, is the deepest title run that they will make all season. Long. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, especially with the injuries right now, they're not going to make a push for the league title, of course. But anyway, and so, they got well, apparently, out of the FA Cup too. Yeah, apparently, right. Pochettino thinks trophies create egos, so you know, maybe that's why they haven't won in God knows how. I long. mean, but their fans have have egos, that's for sure. Even without the trophies, I don't know what's. I don't think the trophies the problem. <laughs> they're yeah, they're man. a loud bunch for a for a group that hasn't won anything. So. I don't know, um, but let's uh, let me read the the starting lineup real quick. So we have Keppa in goal, Dave, Luis, Rudiger, Emerson, um, Emerson. That's a that's something we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, Jorginho, Barkley, Conte in the midfield, and Hazard, Giroud, and Pedro up front with um, Hazard not being forced to play in that false nine role anymore, which uh, oh, paid off God. dividends. So uh, as I just uh, mentioned just not too long ago, Emerson made the start thus moving Alonso to the bench we've discussed this in the past couple weeks that Marcos Alonso has been in pretty poor form lately on both ends of the pitch um so Emerson coming in and making the start was uh you know a pretty big move by uh Sarri in my opinion at least um and something that we had been pushing for for a while um Mm -hmm. the podcast so I'm gonna read through his stats real quick Two key passes, three dribbles, one, uh, two tackles, and two clearances, and 85% pass completion rate. Zach, I'll start off with you. Is it finally time that Sari realizes Emerson's capability? Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's the short version of it. I, here's the thing. While I was watching the match, you're, you're kind of sitting there and, and, and picking out the things that he does well that Alonzo struggles with. And there are definitely a lot more positives with playing Emerson at the left back than Alonso at this point. Defensively, he's 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 pretty sound. He's not the greatest defender 1v1, but he's definitely more solid than Marcus Alonso. But I think where we get 
um, I think where we're at an advantage in playing Emerson is actually when we're moving up the pitch, um, especially in the uh, opposition's uh, final third. And that's saying a lot because Marcus Alonso basically nailed um, nailed his name into the starting 11 under Antonio Conte for his attacking attributes and, and, and his ability to get up and down the wing. But Emerson seemed to do that really well. Um, it, I love I love the way he crosses the ball into the box. It's nice to see crosses come in from wide positions that are that are actually ambitious instead of that typical Marcus Alonso. I'm going to wrap my foot around the ball and, and, and flick it maybe 15 yards above the top crossbar. And hopefully and it rolls makes all the way contact. to the opposite yeah. <laughs> corner flag so William could scamper it, scamper it down and, and continue play. He was providing dangerous balls into the box. And once Iguain gets fit and once he gets more familiar with his teammates and, and, and once he uh, shakes the rust off because he hasn't played in the system in a while – I think Emerson is going to be a huge asset to the club, especially when we have a poacher of Iguain's quality. What about yeah, you, Andreas? I mean, yeah. yeah, Emerson. So before people start thinking, oh, this is a one-time thing, like he's been performing well any time he's called upon. So for those that are going to think, oh, this is reactionary, like Alonzo's still the man for the job. Actually, this has been – he's consistently performed when he's asked to do that. And when you're not getting game time, that's – an incredible thing to do. You're not playing as much. You're just practicing. And then you were asked to perform once a month. Like that's huge. Zach mentioned it. His crossing is definitely better. And I mean, that cross to Giroud in like the 88th, 89th minute was by far oh, the cross man. of the season. Like yeah. had that been Iguain or even Morata, that might've been a goal to, to just seal it. And that was, <laughs> that would have been the game. So yeah, I, I think Emerson brings a lot more to the team moving forward. He also provides recovery pace. Like, sure, he might not be, like, positionally aware defensively, but at least he's got the pace to track back and, and make up for his possible mistake. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he had a perfect game in this game, but for sure positives, whether it was beating players. I think he actually was over 50%, like, beating players on the attack. So he brings an extra factor, and... He actually makes defenders, if he's doing an overlap, let's say Hazard has the ball in the left wing and Emerson overlaps, they actually have to respect the overlap because Emerson has the ability not only to beat your defender, but to play a very good cross. So that combination of Emerson and Hazard is going to be lethal if we use it correctly. Plus, just to talk about Emerson versus Alonso, Loftus-Cheek played this weekend. So if we needed height, stick Loftus-Cheek at left center mid and you replace the height that you lost in Alonzo being benched. So I yeah, think a, it's time. That, that, that's a really good point. But I, I just kind of want to backtrack for a second and talk about his ability to beat defenders 1v1. We always talk about Marcus Alonso not being a natural left back and actually being a natural wing back. When you look at all of his attributes, that's, that, that's his natural position. I think with Emerson, it's kind of a funny situation because I don't actually consider him as a wing back. I think he's actually a natural winger. The way he takes players on 1v1 with that type of confidence and that type of ability, uh, that type of technical ability, that's that's very reminiscent of just a straight-up out-and-out winger. And I know at his time in Roma, um, he was deployed at left back a lot, but he was also played higher up the pitch. And the first couple times we saw him this season – Sorry, actually opted to play him in the front three. Obviously, he came in off the bench, but it's still, it's a position that he can play. There was one situation that stuck out in my mind where I forgot who was defending him over on the right-hand side, but 
he was isolated 1v1. He really had no passing outlets to go to, to go to. So he dribbled right at the defender, poked the ball around him and sprinted around the other side, recovered Serge the ball. Aurier. Yeah. Or, and yeah, yeah, it was Serge Aurier. Just just completely left them in the dust. And yes, he's not the fastest player on the pitch, but he does have that quickness. He has that burst of, you know, three or four yards where he can get a step or two ahead of an opponent. And that's what enables him to play those crosses in. With Marcus Alonso, if you're not playing him into space, there's no way he's getting a cross off. He's also very limited with his right foot, whereas Emerson is able to pull the ball back and he looks more confident with his weak foot. Um, so, you know, maybe as a sorry ball system starts to evolve and take shape, and we start to see the real results of of what Sari's trying to do. Emerson's going to be at at the at, at the fulcrum of that because he has that ability to to run at defenders, to play crosses, and and he could he could actually shoot the ball too. So, you know, it's it, he just seems to have the whole package at this point, and it's kind of crazy that it took so long for him to get into the lineup. I know it was a cup match. I need to see him start a Premier League match. I really want to see him play against Bournemouth. He needs to get a run out. He needs to get used to football in England because he hasn't had a lot of it. And and, and I think it only goes up from here for Emerson. I mean, I really don't see any way that Marcus Alonso gets back into the side as long as Emerson stays fit. And uh, with the with the Zappacosta loan having a little bit of difficulty um, – the, with going through, it's fair to speculate whether Emerson is possibly going to be loaned out uh, or transferred. Um, Sorry, specifically brushed off all that speculation and claims that Emerson is incredibly valuable to the team. Andreas, do you buy those comments, or is he just trying to, you know, talk up his players while he still has them? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't know what to believe. <laughs> A month ago. We were told that Hudson Adoy was gonna is already at the level of William and Pedro, and he played like twice. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a little bit of everything. Yes, Sari's a straight talker, like he he tells you what he believes, but then the team goes and might like you know the board might go and do something different. Um, just this morning, there was some sort of link of of a swap deal for a Juve loanee called Rogelio or something, and us sem- sending Emerson the other way. So it's just. You never know with Chelsea, man. Again, we say it all the time. I'll quickly just touch on it again. A director of football would solve all these issues and all this speculation because his whole job would be to answer those questions and not put the manager in a weird position, especially a Chelsea manager who, at the end of the day, doesn't have a say in transfers. So I hope I hope that Maurizio Sarri is right because, again, I think Emerson is the left back to go for at least the end of the season. But, yeah, I mean, we have – couple more days of the transfer window, so I'm hoping that he stays and, and can help us secure that uh, Carabao Cup. The only thing really giving me hope in terms of keeping Emerson is, one, our lack of depth at at, at the fullback position in general. Zappacosta is nowhere to be found. He wasn't even on the team sheet. Um, was he on a team sheet for the Sheffield match? I can't remember off the top of the head. Um, but he, he doesn't figure at all into Sarri's plans. The, the few times we've seen Zappacosta, yeah, he's been – He's had a decent outing maybe a few times, but you could just tell that he doesn't have the technical ability or the footballing IQ to play in Sarri's system. Whereas Emerson, on the other hand, just seems tailor-made for that left-back role, even more so than Alonso, like I said before. So I hope it's true, man, because, look, I mean, if we let Emerson go, and that means we're literally stuck with two fullbacks for the remainder of the season, and we're still in four-cup competition. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's absolutely imperative that we keep him. 
Yeah, Emer- just, Emerson was on the team sheet, by the way. For and the, and uh, Zappacosta was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, to clarify yeah. that he didn't make he didn't even make the bench. I yeah. thought it was interesting, but we'll we'll get to that match in a second. But yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about the performance as a whole. I mean, this performance coming after that awful matchup against Arsenal the week before. Um, Zach, I, I want to get your take. What what was different in this performance compared to that last one? Well, we talked about it last week. The real gauge as to where this team is at will depend on how they respond to Sari's comments last week. And yes, they did come off harsh, and we spoke about that. But they responded extremely well. We played harder. We looked motivated. We looked focused. We actually executed our game plan, and it was clear what our game plan was, to jump on top of them from the very first minute. And we didn't really take our foot off the pedal until about midway through the second half, where we did look like we were getting kind of leggy, but we were never really under too much pressure. Yes, Lorente got that goal, but that was their only shot on target all match, and that was their best opportunity all match. I'm happy with the performance as a whole. I think the squad is definitely behind Sorry, There is no doubt in my mind um, the players that he picked, they all performed well off the top of the head. I can't really think of a player that underperformed in that game. Um, but I, I, what I want to see is sustainability because that seems to be the problem with this team. We never really know what version of Chelsea we're going to get week in and week out. So I think once we could get some sort of stability and some sort of consistency in our game, maybe turning in a few eight out of 10 matches, three, four, five in a row, that'll really get us going and uh, hopefully could carry us out through the rest of the season, especially with Europa League. I mean, I I plan on making a deep run in that tournament. If we get past United in the FA Cup, the same thing. I mean, we usually tend to do well in domestic cups. So, yeah, I mean, for the run-in, we just need consistency because I feel like that that is the main building block of this team. We have a great game one week, and then the next week we play like absolute shit. We beat Man City. And we'll lose to to fucking bottom half of the table team that has no business even competing with us. So, yeah, I mean, overall, though, going back to the question, I'm happy. I, I that That's all I could ask for was 110%, and that's exactly what we got from the players. And to be honest, I, I was more happy to see the emotion from the players, especially after we won a penalty shootout. The dressing room really seems like there's a sense of togetherness. Everybody's celebrating with each other. It doesn't really seem like there's a like there's a like there's a hierarchy within the dressing room and within the players. You know, it seems like there it seems like Sari really has a uh, has righted the ship for now. I don't want to curse it, but based on that match, that all signs are pointing to uh to to, to Chelsea improving. Yeah, and isn't it crazy how when you play your best player at his best position, he plays and has a man of the match performance? Like who would have thought, right? Like yeah, crazy. how crazy is that? No, I'm my favorite thing about this game was just the return of a natural striker. We didn't get Iguain in time, but sorry said screw it, it's time to unleash Hazard. And while Giroud didn't convert chances, chances were being created. So I, I mentioned that last week. I, I just think that having a natural striker just suits our system, our players a lot more. And it proved in this game. We weren't able to have a higher score because, well, Giroud shouldn't be the main guy at Chelsea. Simple as that. Um, just wasn't his day. But like you said, everybody played with emotion. Everybody performed well. Can't really pick out a player who didn't do well in this game. And, and it was a perfect way to react to that Arsenal match. I mean, just to, just to piggyback off of that, this is something I observed during the match. Because we played with a natural striker and Eden was out on the left, Pedro was on the right, we were a lot. we had a lot more width. 
especially in the final third. Eden was hugging the sideline. Pedro was hugging the opposite sideline. And we were stretching Tottenham. And we were picking out those gaps in the midfield. And we were actually, our midfielders were actually able to operate in between the lines uh, for most of the match. And for me, that's the biggest difference. Because when we have Hazard playing that false nine, we don't really get any width. I, obviously, the width comes from the fullbacks. But the problem is, Hazard as a false nine can't keep the ball. So we turn the ball over. And we don't get back in transition because our fullbacks are so high up the pitch. And we get hit on the counter and we struggle. But when Hazard's playing out wide, I mean, he attracts two, three, four defenders at times. That creates space for our midfielders to run into. Pedro coming off of the weak side. Giroud checking in between the lines, playing those playing those wall passes with Hazard, linking up play. Overall, it's just, we just looked a lot more fluid. And it looked a lot more like Chelsea in the beginning of the season when we were kind of firing on all cylinders, even though we were still a work in progress. But you know, having Hazard on that left wing, I, I, I think if this match didn't prove it to Sarri, I honestly don't know what will. He has to play at left wing every single night, regardless of our striker situation. You know, I, I really don't think we should be wasting any time talking about any any Tottenham players, but there's one in particular that I think we got to take a little bit of time to mention, and that's Eric Dyer. I mean, what a what a piece of shit. Huh? I mean, this guy, this guy. So he had three fouls in the first half, two of them in the first five minutes with with the ref knowing how much of a rivalry game this is and how heated it was going to get, you know, with the intention, hopefully to not allow to spill over no card for those two rough fouls in the first five minutes and the icing on the cake. He completely missed his penalty and i mean that was probably the greatest moment of this season to me <laughs> like I, i'm not even kidding because i was in class for the end of the game so i had to I, I had to watch the match like while sitting in class and i i was so mad that i wasn't able to like you know like uh react to it in, in the proper manner because i wanted to get up and scream and like that was probably the greatest moment of the season, maybe one of the greatest moments uh, of being a Chelsea fan. It really it, it comes close to winning Champions League. Um, but on a scale from one to ten, how how big of a dick is Eric Dyer? Zach, I'll ask you first. Uh, I think <laughs> we're pressing, we're I, asking the hard questions here. I think uh, <laughs> no pun intended, huh? Um, I think ah. uh, I think dick is the wrong word. I think he's more of a cunt. Um, <laughs> but like. But 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 Andre. personally, I mean, look, hearing his name makes me sick. He's just a poor excuse of a footballer. As great of a manager as Pochettino is, because we cannot take that away from him, as naive and as spursy as he is, he's a great manager. But you cannot tell me that he puts Eric Dyer out on the field for tactical reasons besides kicking the crap out of the opponent's best player. There right. is – I, I I I wrote I wrote this name down under my notes for this question because it, it's just so applicable. I remember when I first started watching the Premier League, Claudio Jakob on West Brom. That was his job. Tony Pulis literally put him on the pitch to kick the crap out of opponents, pick up a yellow card, and then he subs him out. Players like that are literal pieces of shit because like there, there's no technique, there's no. There's no footballing IQ. All of that goes out the window. The only reason why you're in there is because you're a big body and you're uh, 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 a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically. I mean, look, 
the guy's a dickhead and, 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 and he deserved to miss that penalty. And I'm pretty sure that, that the, that the international space station, uh, <laughs> retrieved the ball from, from, <laughs> from orbit. Look, it's it, it's it's such bullshit that he got away with those with those two fouls in the first five minutes, and we were texting in the group chat too, right? We were like, "This is ridiculous that he didn't get another that he didn't get a yellow card." About five minutes later, he commits another foul, still no card. Right after and the first just, one, yeah. After the first one, I thought he should have gotten one, it's and then just another so, one, yeah. So ridiculous. But look, I mean, if if anything makes you believe in the soccer gods, just watch his penalty. There you go. That That's tells it. you Ball absolutely everything you need to know. Justice is served. Yeah, no. you, but you didn't. You didn't say on a scale from one to ten. Did you? Did you give a number? I mean, uh, l- <laughs> yeah, it's 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 basically off the charts. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So Eric Dyer, I'll put him at a at a nine. He hasn't a ten for me is like Pepe in his prime. <laughs> the only the only guy that deserves a ten in this scale to me is Martin Atkinson because that guy <laughs> had the worst match of refereeing I've seen in so long, and like. I keep my mouth shut at refereeing most of the time, but this was just ridiculous, man. Like this whole thing with Eric Dyer happened. The fact that they had something like 16 or 20, a crazy amount of fouls, but start the second half. We had like three yellow cards in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And even Mauricio Sarri got a yellow card. Like at least call it both ways. Like if they're going to get away with it, so should Chelsea. Like yeah, he he gave in goal Conte the nicest person in the world a yellow card. Oh, how happy were you that Conte just took a fucking swipe at Danny Rose he, like oh, that? That's he what I was gonna say. It, but I mean, I was he's the so nicest happy. guy in the world. Come on. When, <laughs> when you when you get to the point where you are letting all these people get fouled and you actually piss off and goal Conte to two foot tackle Danny <laughs> Rose, you've obviously done something wrong. Like I've never seen in Golo Conte like. For one, he was mean mugging after he fouled Danny Rose, and he just looked like a total thug after he did that. I was like, "Damn!" And Golo went from like the guy that brings an apple to his teacher to the guy that steals the apple from the teacher's desk. Like I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> oh man, yeah, and and plus added a goal. I think that was one of my favorite Conte uh, performances of the season, to be honest. Um, Oh, and the it, triple nutmeg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have to point that out. Yeah. That, that was that was actually crazy. But um, so any final thoughts or shall we uh, just go straight into this uh, three nil victory? Yeah. Our penalty takers were amazing and kept up a huge save at the end. He actually saw four shooters and Keppa. They all did their job in stellar fashion. He's uh he's definitely growing in stature, isn't he? Like week in and week out, we're just starting to see a little bit more and more and more from Keppa. One quick thing on him though, and I want your guys' take. I mean, at, one of our criticisms of Courtois, b- besides getting nutmegged in every Champions League game he's ever played in, <laughs> um, is is it was his lack of leadership. He wasn't a very vocal, uh, a very vocal goalkeeper. Keppa looks like he has a bit of leadership quality in him, doesn't he? Yeah, I think I think Sari has to like has have a, had to have a part in that because with all the movement and the way we play defense, apparently Sari wanting his players to focus on the ball. Like Kepa needs to be talking the whole time, mm-hmm. so I think that like the need for him to do that is only helping him develop those skills. Because again, this guy signed what a seven eight year contract with us, so he might be one of the leading players five years down the road. So I'm glad that these kind of things, these like intangible skills are are being 
put to test already. And you guys mentioned the the kick takers, the penalty kick takers. Dave, when he took his, I mean, that is how a captain takes a penalty. Uh, I mean, he ripped it in the back of the net and then just got everyone hyped up. Right after he shot that, my first thought was, that's my fucking captain. That is my captain right there. And I'm so happy that uh, he's he's really grown into this role. And he's he really is the leader that we needed uh, after, you know, JT left and... Um, you know, and uh, it, it's 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 been amazing, and I, and I love him. Um, so let's let's so, go, so yeah. So, sorry to cut you off, uh-huh. but but Spurs committed sixteen tackle sixteen yeah. fouls. Yeah, that you match. were right, sixteen. One yellow card. <laughs> Chelsea committed nine fouls that match. Three yellow cards. And that Seems yellow fair. card for them came in the seventy third minute. Seventy mm-hmm. third minute. Like, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, you gotta you gotta pull them out a little bit earlier than that, especially in this yeah. kind of match. Um, yeah. So let's Doesn't, talk. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, go ahead. Um, was... But 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 I feel like other Chelsea fans will get a kick out of this. Is it me or does Harry Wink sound like a, like a like an eighties porn star name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't sound like a, fo- a footballer's name. Uh, no, no. Porn, but porn star? Yeah, that. I, I really thought that was well, a name of a member of One Direction until I saw him put on a kipper tot. <laughs> Harry Styles. Well, it makes well, well, it makes sense because he plays right next to a cunt. So I mean. There you go. <laughs> nice. Nine out of ten. Um, yeah. Could you I tell s- I hate Spurs or what? Uh, didn't know. Okay, so let's talk about <laughs> this uh, this FA this FA Cup matchup against Sheffield Wednesday. So three uh, nil victory. Uh, let's. I want to let's talk about Cho's performance. Um, but don't get too attached, please. Uh, it was it was an awesome performance, and I'll just read through his stats real quick. Five dribbles completed. Two shots, including one spectacular goal. Um, 87% pass completion, three tackles. Um, b- at Black Emoji, um, he actually followed me on Twitter too. Um, he <laughs> he asked a question. He asked, "What makes Cho good enough to be entitled a regular spot in the starting 11? Uh, I'll start with you, Andres. You can you can talk about Cho's performance and then answer this question if you like. Yeah, I thought Cho grew into this game. I thought his first half wasn't stellar, but again, neither was most of Chelsea in that first half. Um, One thing that I think Cho brings that we lack when we have Pedro and Willian is actually playing as a true winger instead of an inverted one. Uh, With Hazard already cutting inside, Cho actually will beat the man, go towards the end line and cross it back in, or before he even thinks about trying to slow things down, he's already looking for a pass. So I think the fact that he's actually trying to get more of that assist rather than goal first, which seems to be William and Pedro's mentality at times, is going to be huge, especially when you have a forward like Iguain who's always going to be making those runs in the box. And, I mean, we even saw that this weekend. Like, his movement was incredible. But, again, Cho brings those things to the table. And he's a natural finisher. I mean – William only has a right foot. We praise Pedro for using his left. And who scored with his left foot today? Cho, or on Sunday, Cho did. So mm. he has the shooting eye kind of like Pedro does, but he adds that kind of assist factor that we don't have from our right winger spot right now. Yeah, really the best yeah. of both worlds. Yeah, he, 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 he is a different type of winger than, than we have in the squad. Obviously, we have, we have Hazard, who's Mr. Do-It-All. And then Pedro, probably our was our best natural finisher up until we brought Higuain in. And then, I mean, Willian has every single thing that you'd want in a winger besides that final ball, that consistent final ball. But 
Cho, for me, Cho just brings raw pace and a different approach to attacking. He He's very direct. He puts his head down and he wants to run past his defender every single time. And it's that it's that sort of naivety that we're that we're missing in the squad, to be completely honest. There's too many times where our wingers are isolated in 1v1 situations and we just pass the ball backwards um, so we could switch play just to do the same thing all over again. And too much of the burden to create off of the dribble is placed on Eden Hazard. And having a guy like having a guy like Cho, who is direct, who who's willing to run at defenders and willing to create and open up spaces for his other teammates, it's extremely valuable. I mean, Willian, yes, he can do it, but Willian only has that first three or four yards that I was talking about when I when we were referring to Emerson. Willian has that same exact thing in a straight line at full speed. Willian's really not that fast. I think Callum Hudson Odoi, out of all of our wingers right now, is actually the fastest. I think he does have the most pace in just in, in just a dead sprint. So the fact that he is direct and he is willing to run at defenders, that's invaluable at this point because we really don't have anyone else that could do that. You know, Pedro's Pedro's ability uh, uh, ability Pedro's uh, best attribute is actually when he's working off the ball. He's great at moving into into spaces, especially in the box. Where Callum Hudson Odoi needs the ball at his feet to create things. One thing I want to point out. I actually think that he's uh, that he's better off on the left wing as opposed to the right. I know that he could break down the line and play crosses in on the right, but I really want to see him get an extended run on the left wing. Whenever Hazard doesn't start a game, I know we talk about William being that guy, but look, we rejected the transfer the 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 transfer request from Callum Hudson Adoy. We're keeping him for another six months. Give him an extended run. Let's see what he can do. If anything, he's going to increase his value. And if he still doesn't want to be here, he has a year left on his contract come summertime. Maybe we could even sell him for 60 or $70 million once he gets some actual experience under his belt. But yes, I mean, I mean, we didn't even really answer the question. But I, I don't think he's good enough for the starting 11 now. But I just think that if we harness his talent in the right way, that he could – be there and i know he's getting more opportunities than than some of our other youngsters in the last maybe 10 or 15 years even but he does need more of a run out i mean there are times where he could play and doesn't and that's kind of concerning for me and i think that we talked about this earlier today actually um the difference between you know a young 18 year old like cho demanding to play and another 18 year old is that you know he's good enough to start so Maybe he's not good enough to, you know, be entitled to a regular spot spot in the starting eleven, but he is good enough to actually start a couple games uh, during the season. So that's the difference between him and just any other, you know, eighteen year old uh, prodigy. But you know, he he really is something special. Um, so the 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 loan for the transfer for Iguain it w- wasn't done in time for him to suit up against Tottenham. So. Um, his debut was actually in this match. So obviously he hasn't had a good game in a while. He's been in pretty poor form lately um, during his time uh, in, in Milan. But what were some of the positives of his performance, Zach? What do you think? Um, well, I didn't really catch the performance. I, I, uh-huh. I, I caught I caught most of the extended highlights. But, I mean, just just based on those, I mean, you could tell that his movements are very intelligent. There was a movement in the first half where he kind of peeled off the back shoulder of one of the center backs and found himself in space and just kind of sprayed it wide. He, he, he kind missed of a couple of chances, it. which was a little concerning, yeah. but I mean, still it's, it's, cre- making those chances in the first place is something that we haven't had. 
here's the thing. It's it's I'm not really concerned because it's not like Gonzalo Higuain is a striker that we purchased that, you know, uh, only had two or three half-decent seasons um, in another, you know, top European league. I mean, this is a guy that's, you know, probably been an elite striker for the better part of six to seven years, I would say, mm-hmm. and a consistent goal scorer. So once he gets fit, again, he hasn't played in Sarri's system in a while. Once he gets fit and, and, and once he gets more acclimated to the system, maybe shake some of the rust off because he hasn't been playing much at Milan in the last few months. Um, he'll get back to goal scoring form in no time. I mean, I, I, I know there's a lot of stuff going around on Twitter and on Instagram and basically any Chelsea fan media talking about how many goals will Gonzalo Higuain score before the end of the season. I always answer 10 plus because I think it's completely possible. Um, Hazard has had to carry most of the scoring and creating burden. But Hazard's actually better as a creator. And now that we have a natural goal scorer like Iguain, who's proven, who honestly we have no reason not to trust, um, I think Hazard's going to be looking for him a lot more. And I won't be surprised after he bangs in his first goal to see him get on a, on a nice little run and, and, and maybe give our team a little boost. Yeah, I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised with Iguain's performance. I know he didn't get the goal um William actually offered him the PK and Iguain kind of told him no it's yours so right. classy move from William um and I guess gutsy move from Iguain who wants to earn his first goal in open play um one thing I really noticed is that Iguain stayed very central and usually I would say oh like you need to move around the field like that's not good but in this system especially when we have all of our starters playing I think this is really going to benefit our two wingers on the outside because Ewine was kind of like always between the two center backs in a way. So these two guys have to stay with Iguain or he'll just, he'll capitalize. So by keeping those guys in, we're going to see a lot more of those in behind runs from Pedro and maybe even from hazard. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is that I think our, this was our B team Sunday. Like there's no, let's no bones about it. Like it was, our B team. And I think they're just not used to playing with a guy that's making so many runs out of nowhere. Like they're used to playing with Giroud in the middle who let's be real. Giroud kind of is kind of just a body that's standing there. The ball has to come to him. So a lot of the passes were a couple of inches too far, maybe not hard enough. And so, like I said, he was uh, inches away from a header. He was wide on another chance from Ampadu. He took a touch on a Kovacic ball. Like, Imagine when Jorginho, Hazard, Loftus-Cheek, and even Pedro are in there. Like the, the goals will come. So for a guy who had only been in England for like two days or three days, that was that was a pretty decent performance in my book. And to be honest, I thought he was going to come back a lot fatter because he tends to be like Hazard and enjoys his hamburgers over the mm-hmm. over the holidays too. But but he actually he actually looks like he's in decent shape. I just don't think he's match fit yet. And and, and match fitness. It isn't just cardio. It's match fitness also includes that mentality, right? Being in the right frame of mind for an extended period of time, and especially if you're a striker, I mean, that's absolutely huge. So I feel like once he gets his first goal, he'll be fine. I mean, what do we think about him passing up the penalty opportunity? I thought it was classy, actually. I mean, classy from both parts. Um, he knows that. I mean, William was able to get 50 goals in this match, and I don't know if he was aware Iguain of how close he was, so. I mean, maybe that might have been a factor, but still, I thought it was a classy move. Um, 
I know he wants to earn his first goal. Um, a penalty seems like you know just an easy way to get it, but you know I, I'm I don't think I, I don't think it's too much to read into to be honest. I think I think it's something that they've been blowing out of proportion too. Of course, he, yeah. Iguain's Iguain's a killer, right in front of the net, and like you said, Sam, I think he hit the nail on the head there. He wants to earn that first goal. I feel like him backing a penalty really won't do much. Mm-hmm. I know they I, I know there's that saying, well, strikers need to score goals. Or strikers need to see the ball go in the back of the net to get out of a slump, but I don't think Higuain's in a slump because he hasn't been playing. Yeah, so, no, and I I honestly agree with you here, where it's just he's the new guy in the team. Like I'm not gonna come in and assert myself as the alpha true, yeah. when I literally just walked in through the doors. Like let me earn, like you said, not even just the goal, but eventually he'll get his ego back and be like, no, 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 I'm gonna take this, but. William has been taking the PKs when Hazard's not on the pitch. It's that's who you're designated to. Like yeah. fair play to William to try to get his new striker involved, but you know the manager's orders are William takes the PKs when Hazard's not there, and that's that's what you do. So fair play to both of them, but I don't think it has to do with oh he was afraid of missing or whatever. It yeah, just it had nothing to do with that. No, not at all. That's yeah. That it, it, I think I can't believe how much it was talked about. It's not. I I think it's nothing to really look into. Yeah, um, but yeah. anyway, so back to the match. Um, so obviously we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the importance of uh, Jorginho in that Regista role. Um, today, I mean, sorry, that match uh, was, it seemed like it was kind of like a trial run to see who would be the backup Regista when, because Jorginho, you know, obviously he is part machine, but he can't unfortunately play every match. So, um Ampadu in the first half started off as a Regista role. Um, seemed to struggle a little bit dictating that tempo. Um, he he seemed a lot more comfortable, or I, th- I think, in in my opinion, he seems like t- he would fit a lot better in Conte's role um, as the eight rather than this Regista role. And then um, in the second half, Kovacic uh, slid over and he played as the Regista uh, Kovacic looked a lot more comfortable than Ampadu did, but um, still without uh, you know too many goals or assists this year. Uh, that that's not that's something that the Regista role isn't really concerned about. So I don't know. Um, I'll start off with you, Andreas. Uh, between the two, what were your thoughts on how they played, and do you see uh, Kovacic or even Ampadu playing that backup Regista role? Yeah, I think um, it's too early for Ampadu. I think that Sari mentioned it, that he needs to train more. Will he eventually have the abilities? Sure. But he definitely was not himself in that first half. It seemed like he was forcing to break habit most of the time. So in the second half, when Kovacic slid back to the Regista, both players played a lot better. And in my opinion, I thought Kovacic had one of his best games yet. Uh, the, like I said, from the rule, he was doing what he does best. Like he's, he doesn't make those runs into the box. So the fact that he got to recycle possession, play and operate in the areas that he's more comfortable in. And he even was, like I said, he was the one that was closest to giving uh, Iguain that first goal. So I, I think he looked great. I, I honestly think that I mentioned it before too. I think Kovacic should have been the Regista backup when Fabregas left, if we didn't sign anyone and, and I think this game showed that there was potential there. I know it was against Sheffield, but again, I, Ampadu operates better in the Conte role as a backup. 
Uh, Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic can split time in the left center mid spot. And then when Jorginho needs a break, just slide Kovacic in there. And yes, I didn't mention Barkley on purpose because I'm I'm done with him. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm about on the same page as you. <laughs> we had a couple of tweets uh, head our way after the match and a couple of them were uh, referencing you know, how, how we don't really talk about Ross Barkley anymore. And it's because he hasn't played well since October. It's that simple. I, I don't think he's good enough for this system. And yeah, I mean, he, frankly, has, he has no technical skill whatsoever. His only his only benefit is scoring goals, and he's not doing that. I mean, every shot that he takes is so off target. He's taking ill advised shots anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, so this is, far away, this is supposed mean, to be a guy that's this is supposed to be a guy that's supposed to be able to crack a ball from twenty or twenty five yards out. I mean, at least put it on frame. And that's not even a thing that bothers me. The thing that bothers me most about him is the whole point of sorry system is to play fast and fluid football. If we take more than two touches on the ball in the midfield, it slows down the run of play, and you basically have to recycle possession and start over. Ross Barkley takes minimum three touches every time he gets the ball. And his lack of decision-making, it's like he gets the ball and he doesn't have his mind made up before he gets it. Great footballers already picture the next play, right? You, you always hear this romantic description of of of, of, uh, like of these Sergio great midfielders, right? Yeah. Where they're an artist and the picture's painted in their mind before they receive the ball. They know exactly what they're going to do with it, exactly what direction they're going to turn in, where they're gonna, where their first touch is going to go where their next pass is going to go even if they don't they even know if they don't need a first touch or not and Ross Barkley just lingers so much I want to get back to Kovacic because we don't get anything out of him in the left center mid spot and and Andres the same way in the same way that you're fed up with Ross Barkley I'm fed up with Kovacic I don't think he's fit for that left center mid spot as a backup to Jorginho or even as a possible replacement to Jorginho I think he's great for that Regista position because he has all the attributes that you need. His strength is short, short, quick passing. Technically, he's brilliant. He could dribble out of pressure when teams close down on him, but he also has uh, a, a, a better athletic ability than Jorginho and, and better defensive awareness. When it comes to the press, he's, he, he's quick to step to his opponent. And he's great at breaking up play. He's hard to knock off the ball. I mean, he just seems to have every attribute that you need to play the Regista role. I know Jorginho is uh, is Sari's, you know, um, talisman, if you will, or, or Sari's golden boy or, or, or his student, however you want to describe him. But I think, I think if Kovacic does get a few more games as a backup Regista, if we don't bring in another midfielder in this window – I think that he could possibly give Jorginho a run for his money at some point. I don't think that's too crazy to think, but in terms of the left center mid, I mean, he doesn't was unfortunate the timing of it, but now he's back, and I'm just so excited to see him get back left center mid wall just the thought of him coming in with Hazard and Emerson is just I mean that, that's like that's almost a wet dream for me at this point <laughs> and, and one last thing on Kovacic let's just call a spade a spade the guy sucks at shooting like there, there's no mm-hmm. other way to say it like his shooting is just abysmal if he can operate further from the box where he can just focus on passing regaining possession because that's another thing he'll go in hard for a tackle and he is a little bit more of an athlete than Jorginho 
this whole like, oh, the furthest back guy should be a DM. Kovacic can give you the most, best of both worlds in that end. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the guy's not going to be scoring goals. As much as he wishes he was a better shooter, he's obviously not putting in the extra time because his shots in this game were so bad. But, yeah, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, so, I mean, if we have any oh, – actually, uh, we have a question from Chelsea Eric. I forgot to ask about that. So, um, this is something I, did, I didn't even see. I don't even know what, what this is. So, he says, uh, can you guys talk about when David Luiz snuck onto the field to give that pass to Cho? I seem to have missed that. Uh, I, I don't know what he's talking <laughs> about. Zach, you want to uh, elaborate or and either Andreas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think he's talking about the fact that Christensen played a very David – so i think he's just you know playing playing games here the fact that david Luis didn't play and christensen did what we are used to seeing from david Luis. so the long forgotten danish prince came out and played a very good game of football no pre-game stomach aches or bathroom trips whatever it is i i thought christensen was phenomenal and Hopefully, you know, he kind of starts gaining that confidence again because just, what, last year we were talking about how Terry was saying he was going to be a future captain and we were thinking he's going to be the starter for years to come. So I'm hoping that this is just the start of of kind of like getting his confidence going again because I thought he was great. And if he's going to do those passes, heck, in those smaller games, we will have a mini David Luiz playing from the back. So it's, it's good news for Chelsea to see him do that. It just has Sari's management written all over it, doesn't he? Because we haven't we haven't seen Christensen even attempt to play a ball over the top like that, let alone a diagonal ball. You could tell that you know David Luiz and Sari, whoever it was, definitely brought it up to him and said, "Hey, look, this is an option for you." And we know Christensen's a great ball playing center back, but the problem was he has just been mentally broken his confidence has been shattered for the last what year since uh since the the home leg against barcelona where where he literally gave it to iniesta Mm -hmm. um but it looks like he's getting his confidence back and we're starting to see flashes of the player that that we all hoped he would be at this stage and the fact that he's finally starting to get the hang of it now is definitely a welcome sign because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, for the last few weeks and the last few appearances that he made, he hasn't been making as much progress as I would have liked. And to see him come out with a performance like this, make to have the confidence to ping a ball like that and, and to actually execute it, I mean, that just shows how far along he's coming. Yeah, maybe the new system might have thrown him off. Uh, you know, he hasn't necessarily played in an all-out attacking system like sorry, uh, like, like sorry ball. Um, but you know, he's, he's looking good and he's looking much better. And, you know, I, it's no coincidence that the talks of us bringing in another center back have calmed down because apparently sorry, has seen something on a training ground in Christensen. Um, thank God. And he's finally executing on the pitch. Yeah. So, um, do you guys have any final thoughts on this match or should we just move on to our, uh, other team news slash speed round? Uh, yeah, fuck Eric Dyer. <laughs> yeah, just going back to that. Um, so let let's let let's delve into the latest update of the Cho saga. So this is the best news that we've received so far. Um, again, Chelsea rejecting another bid. Uh, this is four in total. The last one matching the asking price of forty million. So it seems like 
at least for the time being, Cho will be a blue. Um, again, he turned down an extension of uh, $85,000 salary a week or pounds, whatever it is. Um, but he has put in a transfer request, and he put one in before the Sheffield match, uh, before he was, he started and played really well. So um, do you think um, this, this, this whole saga, this whole scenario – is this about money or is it about playing time? Zach, I'll start off with you. Well, here's the thing. I mean, uh, this is something a lot of Chelsea fans don't think about. Yes, we did lay out an $85,000 a week contract to Callum Hudson-Odoi. And yes, that is a lot of money for someone that hasn't started a Premier League match. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize that. But one other thing that we have to also realize is that this is their livelihood and this is how these players make money. And his brother is his agent. And agents make money on they, – they only make money on transfers. I mean that's like their big source of revenue. I mean you look at guys like Mino Raiola asking for 20% of the $100 million transfer Jeez. fee for Paul Pogba. Case in point. The rumor was that Callum Hudson-Odoi's brother, who is his agent, was going to receive about $2 million in, uh, in, in, in agent fees um, if Callum Hudson-Odoi did make the move to Bayern. So it doesn't surprise me that – you know, maybe his head was turned a little bit. Of course, you have your brother in your ear with $2 million in his head. Of, of course he's going to want you to switch. Why wouldn't he want you to switch? It's not like you're downgrading clubs. I mean, you're going to Bayern Munich. You know, it's it's. It, let's be fair. I mean, even though we beat him at the Champions League final, it's, it's a great club. It's a prestigious club. Who wouldn't want to play for them realistically? When it comes down to Callum Hudson-Odoi himself, I do get the sense that he does want to stay and he does want to be, you know, the guy for us moving forward. But for me, I don't think it depends on money and I don't think it necessarily depends on playing time. I think it depends on the future of Eden Hazard. Um, obviously if Hazard stays, the club is going to be ambitious and they're going to keep buying uh, top level talents to pair Hazard with. And Kalamata Dodoy being young is going to be the odd man out. Um, I mean, how, how would you feel if, you know, the club you played for just spent $57 million on a on a winger that's two years older than you that's coming in the summer? Um, I mean, you have to look at all the factors together. I mean, I don't blame him for having his head turned. And, and if he does eventually decide to leave uh, over the summer, you know, fair play to him. I, I wish him the best because, you know, it, it is a great opportunity for him. And it is a shame that the club uh hasn't prioritized youth um you know in, in recent history and a lot of our youth players just haven't been good enough and i understand that but the reason why it's not it's not a blatant disregard for youth on the club's part i mean let's be fair it's just andres brought this up to me yesterday too and i'm gonna give you credit for it um <laughs> but you know it's the fact that we bring in top level managers and we expect them to win trophies right away. And two years later, we slam the door on their backside and bring in another top-level manager. What top-level manager is going to want to come into his new club knowing that the manager's situation is basically a revolving door every two years? Who is going to play a young player like that? Who is going to take that chance? You can't really blame Maurizio, sorry. Look at the last Italian that was our manager. He didn't last very long. Look before that, Jose Mourinho. He didn't last very long. I mean – there's no reason for these managers to come in and trust youth when 
they have, you know, uh, uh, experienced players in the side, like Maurizio Sarri is doing. He's playing guys that are proven at this level, Lillian and Pedro. Um, but, you know, I, it's, it, it's, it's a fundamental problem with the club. And the thing that drives me absolutely crazy is that this situation could have been – this whole Callum Hudson-Odoi saga could have been avoided if we had a director of football. If we had a footballing mind who sat him down, told him the plans – told him exactly what was going on, how we were going to integrate him into the squad. And I'm sure Callum Hudson-Odoi wouldn't have had a problem with it if we sat him down and told him, hey, look, this is our plan for you. It's going to take some time for you to get in, but you're going to get your chance. And you're going to have that chance to prove yourself and possibly even earn that starting spot eventually. But there's no one there to do that. We know that when Marina's or whoever's doing the negotiations is sitting down at the table with Callum Hudson-Odoi, they're not explaining that to him because they don't fucking know. I mean, it's that simple, and it's just – it's a fundamental problem with the club that just needs to be remedied, or, or there needs to be some sort of transparency on on the board level as to as to what the fuck is going on with the, with, with the director of football position. Do we want one? Is it, are, they, are they actively looking for one? Are there candidates? There's so many people out there that could easily slot into that role. Guys like Peter Cech, who just announced his retirement, that would be a great director of football to come in. He knows the club in and out, and, and although he he plays for Arsenal now, I mean, he's he, he he's a blue. You got guys like Michael Ballack who who have been rumored. He would be great, especially considering you know the young German talent that's here. If we could keep Michael Ballack here, if we could get Michael Ballack as our director of football, why would Callum hudson want to go to Bayern? I mean, Michael Ballack has experience at that club. And he can explain to him what will happen if he does make that move. Marina seemed to absorb all the director of football uh, uh, responsibilities, but she doesn't have the mind for it. Yes, she's a great negotiator. She gets the prices that she wants, but that's about it. There's no footballing minds at the club. And and and, and if Callum Hudson-Odoi slips here and he slips through our fingertips and eventually does go to Bayern Munich, that's what I'm going to blame it on. And I don't think that's... I don't think that's being irrational whatsoever. Yeah, to me, it, it means nothing about the money, to be completely honest. I think right now there's a trend in football where we just saw what Kylian Mbappe can do at 19 years old. And now every young player who has a is touted to become a future star is now trying to take complete control of their future. Um, they're trying to you know make these moves, get the playing time at an earlier age just because well, the new bright star in world football is a 19-year-old. Why can't it be me? To be more specific to Cho, Cho is a U-20 World Cup winner as of 2017, and three of his, uh, not roommates, teammates, Lookman, Sancho, and Reese Nelson are all getting like 100 times the minutes he's getting all playing in the Bundesliga. And they're all playing for top Bundesliga sides. I'm pretty sure Reese Nelson is at Schalke, Sancho at Dortmund, who's top of the league. No, and Reese Nelson is at Hoffenheim, I think, right? Hoffenheim. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Hoffenheim. And then you got Lookman at, at Leipzig. And they all left their current academies to go get that playing time. Like the, the guy that he's probably texting every day is telling him, Yeah, you just got I just got my tenth assist in the Bundesliga. Like Lost uh, and chose over here saying like yeah just I'm at three assists and two goals but yep can't really catch a break yeah which is ridiculous by the way that output is insane yeah but I there's that so in in terms of who he's 
his uh, comparisons are. I mean, Frankie de Young just signed for $75 million at Barcelona. That's another young kid. Like, the, the fact that dot, that kind of cash, that kind of promise is being sent out to other 18-year-olds is like, damn, I could be doing something too. And on top of that, Bayern is telling him, look, Robin is gone at the end of the season. The number 10 shirt is yours. Like, they're putting in place all the things that, like, a kid dreams of. Like, oh, my God, the number 10 jersey at, a le- like, a legendary club. I'm going to get to be the heir to the throne to Robin. Like, all these things are going to turn your head, obviously. And, again, we're buying ourselves time with six months, but – we need to change something about how we use Adore quickly because otherwise he's just going to be gone in the summer. And yes, the hazard factor is huge. And if, and I personally, I think hazard's gone at the end of the season. I, mm-hmm. I, I just think he is. And that's where Chelsea needs to capitalize. Be like, screw Bayern. Take the turn number 10 Jersey right now. Be our left winger. You and Pulisic are going to be the future of this club at the wing position. Like, you wanted this. Let's see what you can do. And then at that point, he can even wait till the summer to sign his contract, but at least like show him an intent. And yes, a director of football would have done that already, but like we've just handled this so poorly halfway through December or late into December. Sorry said, Oh, Cho is ready. He's already the same level as Pedro and William. And what did sorry do? He played Pedro and William as soon as they were back from injury for most of the games. And sorry. And Cho was getting like 10 minutes, five minutes, then he plays again um, before Maranta left and gave him two assists. Like the dude is having crazy output numbers. He obviously just wants that backing. Like, and who wouldn't? Like, mm-hmm. when again, when Bayern makes four bids, there's real intent there. You're dumb if you don't think Bayern's going to come through and actually play this kid after all they've promised. Like, even if it doesn't work out, they're going to give it their best damn shot. Like, 40 million euro or pounds for a kid who's played like no premier league minutes that's insane they obviously see something in him and we're idiots for not seeing the same thing in him and he's in at our club and has been since he's seven years old i mean if Bayern do sign him isn't that their record signing because coco yeah. Tolisso went for what 36 35. or 37 yeah something like that and that was their record signing at the time if they signed cho that's a record signing for a club like Bayern munich who by the way out of all the big, out of out of all the major European superpower clubs, Bayern Munich is probably the best club when it comes to when it comes to uh, spending as little money as possible and building a real quality team. Right? I mean, I I think the only other club might be Juventus, but they only sign players on contract expiries, anyways. So they don't really pay transfer fees, but yeah, that's, that's, like that's Bayern, a sign. To, that's a sign to hold on to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah, exactly. And it just drives me nuts. Like, there's a lot of people on Twitter that are, oh, you know, your your opinion's completely wrong about this situation. You know, we offered him that that bumper contract. I, I don't understand why he would say. There's more factors that go into it. The kid thinks highly of himself. If Bayern comes knocking on my door tomorrow and says, "Hey, we want to we want to buy you from Chelsea," I'm gonna start thinking, "Well, shit, I'm pretty fucking good. Why <laughs> wouldn't I want to go there?" Of course, you're gonna get some sort of. Uh, there is an aspect of ego. I get that. He's 18. You know, a club like Bayern's touting him. He's going to have some sort of ego about it and be like, wow, maybe I am this good. Maybe I can go to that club and I can perform and I could win Champions Leagues or and, and, and play in a final and, and, and make the England squad and this and that. Why wouldn't he think that? Of course he wants to go to Bayern Munich. But it's on the club to just 
keep him here by whatever means possible. And yes, a bumper contract is like, yeah, here, here's more money. Stay with us and sit on your ass on the bench on 85 grand a week. The club has no problem doing that. We've been paying Seth Fabregas 250 grand a week for the last two years to sit his ass on the bench. Just think of Darren Drinkwater right now making six figures to literally post on Instagram. Yeah, but, it's, it's crazy. Job. It's crazy to me. And this whole Paredes thing going to PSG, everyone's saying like, oh, PSG outbid us. And 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 I'm reading reports that are saying, oh, Chelsea's not willing to spend 40 million on a on a player that's effectively a backup to Jorginho. Well, what the fuck was Danny Drinkwater? <laughs> like, it's just it's so crazy to me the way that this club has has structures their 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 buying and selling is just it's kind of odd because on one end, yeah, we we, we do strike great deals. Like I think 57 million for Pulisic is. Is 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 an amazing deal and an, at an amazing price for someone like that. I mean, you're gonna get that money back just in jersey sales. Mm-hmm. Then we go spend forty million on Danny Drinkwater, or we spend uh, fifty-eight million on, on Alvaro Morata, and now we're all of us uh, twenty-two million on Zapacosa, who hasn't even made twenty-two fucking appearances. It just <laughs> there there's no transparency with the club and the fans. Let us know what's going on. Let us know what you guys are thinking or what you're trying to do, what your motive is. Don't go say Callum hudson a is, is, is a godsend and, and he's a chosen one after Eden Hazard leaves or blah, 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 whatever. He's as good as William and Pedro and not play him. That, that makes absolutely no sense. And it puts fans through the ringer. Yeah, uh, and speaking of speaking of Maranta, let, let's, let's get into this next uh, speed round topic. Uh, finally, something happy. <laughs> Uh, the speed round topic that hopefully we don't spend 15 minutes answering. Um, but uh, Murata, finally, finally, not something that we have to worry about anymore. Um, on loan to Atletico Madrid. Atletico is just it's pretty much funding our team at this point. Um, on loan until the 1920 season with an option to buy. The Reportedly, the option to buy is 48.5 million pounds. So... They're literally making one of the worst purchases, if not in our team's history, maybe even in all the Premier League history. Um, he, they're gonna—they're pretty much making that like it never even happened. Um, well, how, uh, cutting our losses and only losing ten million—I thought that—that's more than that—that's that, way more than I thought we'd get back. I would have sold them for a match day program. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, this this question goes without saying, but how happy are you guys that he's finally gone? I'll start off. Good. With you. Yeah, I'll start with you, Andreas. Good riddance. Thank you. No, thank you. Goodbye. Best of luck. Even if you don't deserve it after what you did to us. Nah, <laughs> I, I'm. It's done. It's done. It's. I. I'm erasing the past two seasons of Murata from my head. Like I don't even think. I don't even think I was this disappointed. Even when Torres took forever to score, like. Yeah, Not even, that wasn't even close. Man. Yeah, Torres, Torres was trying. Torres was fighting. There, there was never that for Murata. I get that he went through some personal stuff. I get that he was injured in his back. But eh, some people aren't cut out to have the weight on their shoulders. And good riddance. Have fun playing second fiddle to Griezmann, if not third fiddle to Diego Costa. Best of luck. Yeah, ditto. I mean, I, I, I'm just so glad that the guy's gone. Like, yeah, have fun blow drying your wife's hair in Madrid. I mean, well, while well, well, we it's have truly what he's always Gonzalo wanted Higuain. this season, <laughs> uh, what a trade off! We got we got rid of Maratha and wound up getting Iguain. See, this is the reason why Chelsea pisses me off with their transfer business. 
It's just like, yeah, we we go buy a dud for fifty eight million, and then as 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 a job to paper over to paper over the cracks, we bring in a a you know at at his full potential a world class striker in Iguain. It's just it's ludicrous. It's totally Chelsea. Um, so let's talk about this uh, FA Cup fifth round draw. So we draw Manchester United. Uh, so obviously this is not <laughs> this is not the kind of draw we were hoping for this early in the FA Cup. Uh, it's pretty crazy that these two teams will be uh, meeting up this early and one of them will be eliminated. But um, match will be played on the 16th at the bridge. We have a very good record against them in, in, in cup play. I believe uh, we haven't lost to them since like 2002 at home in, in cup play. Um, what, what do you think uh, our chances are in this match? How, do you like them, Zach? I'll start off with you. I mean, I know that United does have a good record at the bridge, but under Zolskjaer, I mean, they, they're pretty uh, pleasing on the eye, aren't they? Um, I and, and there is a really good chance that when we do face them on the 16th that they could still be riding out this winning streak. Um, what is it now, like eight, eight matches? Eight of eight, yep. Eight of eight, yeah. I mean, there is a good chance that they could win out um, up through the 16th, but I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm really not that concerned at all because now that we have a guy like Iguain, um, and as long as Azard stays healthy, their defense is still shit. I mean, make no mistake about it. Um, I think that we have the perfect opportunity to be the first stumbling block for Solskjaer in charge. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think that while. Jose Mourinho would have done everything to stop us from doing something. I think OSG, what is it? OGS? Is that the, yeah. OGS will do what he's been doing and letting kind of do this free play focus on us thing, which in our pressing slash quick passing system, we might be able to take advantage of kind of like what we did with city. If, if we're even going to give them that much space in that game. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly feeling okay. It's going to be a hard game. Don't get me wrong. They they had the luxury of of starting last week with Lingard in the middle, Lukaku on the right, Sanchez on the left, and then they subbed in Martial and Rashford. Like, that's scary. Let's yeah. be real. That's a scary thought. So they've got plenty of attacking power, but you're right. Their defense is a mess, and, you know, now our attack is looking even better. So uh, we've our midfield is only, is only getting healthier. Uh, Jorginho's playing better. Conte's been bossing it like normal, so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good good game. But I think we'll win. Let me just I, I, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish, finish what you were about to say. I was just gonna say that I just can't believe that we drew them. Like looking at this list of teams that we could have drawn: Portsmouth, Queens Park Rangers, Wimbledon, Middlesbrough, Newport, Barnet, Brentford, Shrewsbury Town, Bristol. Like there's so many teams we could have drawn. And of course we got United. And let me just read to you the the list of teams that Man City has played in cups in the last season and a half, okay? This is a full list. West Brom, Wolves, who were in the championship at the time. Leicester, Burnley, Bristol, Cardiff, Wigan, Oxford, Fulham, Leicester, Burden, Rotherham, Burnley. I mean, <laughs> none of these teams pretty like are are any quality teams i mean pretty much they are locked in to make it to the final of any cup they play in in the past year and a half um it's it's pretty insane just the way that i mean i i i can't i'm not going to put on my 
you know, my uh, tinfoil cap and say there's a conspiracy, but the signs are kind of pointing to <laughs> <laughs> there being some fishy Liverpool, business going Liverpool on. We got Liverpool in the first round at Anfield in the first round of the Carabao right? Cup. Yeah, and Liverpool, then we get Tottenham. Bournemouth, and Tottenham. And, yeah. and three yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal gets West Ham and Chelsea. I mean, it's not like – I mean, it's, my, it's really it's, – I don't get it. My tin hat is glued onto my head, man. It's ridiculous. Like, it, uh-huh. it, it really is. Like, I'm, I'm all about this warm balls theory where, like, the guy's picking the warm ball to make sure that that's the match he wants. Like, this is insane. It, it, City's getting all the matches in all their competitions, not even just in the FA. Like, they're even getting the easy draw in the Champions League. Like – it's just it blows my mind, and I get it. Chelsea is the villain of the league, and all this, but man, at least wait till the next round to give us United. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I know our February is not as tough as United, so we still also have that advantage. But like, just why bother? Just put City in the final. Like, just just put them in the final already, and let us let the rest of the best like they're pretty much doing there. that already. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to confirm, yeah, last time we lost in a domestic cup uh, match against Man United was December 2002. So that's a eight game unbeaten streak right now. Um, wow. So um, I, I like our chances against this side. Um, but yeah, definitely something a conspiracy theory that we will have to touch up upon later. And uh, definitely it'll be it'll be you know it'll be the same old same old. Um, Ron, aka Bone Daddy, um, who Zach actually uh, was able to meet up with. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting the daddy himself. <laughs> what an honor for Bone Daddy to meet a celebrity. That that's pretty insane. Um, <laughs> hey, he was a he was actually a really cool guy, man. Me, me and him got to chat for a few minutes. He was I'm, super down to earth. So you're saying Wait, a guy named Bone Daddy is is no, cool? No, no, no. <laughs> let's get this straight. Zach had the pleasure of meeting Bone Daddy. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, there I mean, we go. You're telling me a guy named Bone Daddy is cool? Like, of course. I mean, come on. What do you, of course the, he's the, cool. The, the, that is a that you can't be not cool and have the name Bone Daddy. So, he asks, a couple days left in the window. So, are the drink waters and the Cahills going? Are we going to bring anyone in? How about bring in some of the lone players back? Uh, a lot of tough games coming up, and I'm worried about fatigue. So, um, Zach, why don't you try to calm Bone Daddy's nerves and. Uh, and talk address what he's talking about the fatigue and what moves we can be making i mean i know uh gary cahill's move to fulham fell through um i never really saw that one coming to fruition yeah it makes sense because he's in west london but at the same time a guy like gary gary cahill fighting in a relegation going from a club like chelsea to a, a side that's pretty much doomed for relegation i think it's pretty much a dead set that they're going to go back down um, it's not doesn't sound too enticing to me in terms of Danny Drinkwater. It's really hard to move him out because he's such on he's on such big wages, and all the clubs that are interested in him probably can't afford it. I mean, maybe the only club that could possibly afford it is West Ham. Then again, they just gave Arnautovic that new contract, and you know, I, from what I've been reading, they've been targeting some uh, championship players to as reinforcements. So you know, money's not really uh, growing on trees over there either. So. Finding someone to take on Drinkwater's contract is going to be huge. Um, I hope we bring someone in. I, I, I still think we need cover at right back. Zapacosta is just not good enough. Um, but but you know the main issue is just finding another mid uh, another midfielder. Whether and 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 here's the thing: whether it's uh whether it's someone to fill in for Jorginho or another attack-minded midfielder that could come in and score a few goals. 
um, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if Drinkwater is going to leave. I think that guy's just living the life. He's hanging out. Cahill is looking for a multi-year contract. So he's just trying to secure himself at least not just a half season or 18 month loan. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to need a right back. It looks like Zappacosta, they're working hard to get him shipped off to Lazio somehow. So uh, it's, I, I would say I want to see Reese James come back to Chelsea. I do. But is he going to succeed coming without a preseason to come in a sorry system? That's that's a tough ask. So I think uh, I think it's too soon also because he's not getting in over Aspie. And Aspie and is one of the first names on a team sheet every match, even with squad rotation. Right. So so even selling Zappacosta right now is a bit of an odd one for me. We mentioned it earlier. We're still in four competitions. And yes, the Capital One Cup ends in February, but the FA Cup and the Europa League are gonna continue through until May. So that one that one's baffling to me. Today it's been kind of a weird rumor day. I don't know if you guys have been noticing, but both Coutinho and Rakitic pulled put like they both showed up as like Chelsea targets out of nowhere. Um, I I'm calling bullshit, but apparently that was a thing. And then the other thing is that uh, as much as we quote unquote lost Paredes to PSG, if that was the case, why hasn't he signed for PSG? Like maybe we're still in the hunt for him, and it's just kind of in the background. So maybe we are still working on getting another Regista. So uh, as much as I do want Reese James, I think he would benefit much like what Pulisic did and wait, wait until summer. I think Reese James will benefit from that just as much as when Mason Mount comes back and Tamori, Tammy Abraham, all those guys that could be good squad players. I, I wouldn't recall them now just because we play such a fair, like such a system heavy sense of football like if we were playing the 4-2-3-1 counter-attack like in the good old Mourinho days I'd say yeah give them back now he just yeah you could plug and play right exactly but it's a little different with this one so fatigue could be an issue but yeah I I'm I'm kind of at at a loss of what the next couple days will look like so we're gonna end the episode with uh two match previews we got Bournemouth on the 30th uh at at Vitality Stadium and uh Huddersfield at the bridge uh, on the second, on February second. So, right now, Bournemouth sitting twelfth in the league. Huddersfield, Huddersfield, dead last, <laughs> dead last, dead last in twentieth place. Um, I mean, I'll start off with you, Zach. You think it's possible to get uh, two wins out of these matches? Uh, you know, it's, it's with, with the shortened week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think it is. We we talk about our squad depth, and yeah, it's not. We don't have the deepest squad ever, but. <laughs> We're deep enough to be Bournemouth and Huddersfield in the span of four to, four to five days, so I'm not concerned. Oh, man. Yeah, we need to get the six points. There's just no excuses anymore. Um, Hazard's back on the left wing. All of our wingers are healthy. All of our players are coming back to fitness. I, it's time to beat up these teams that we should be beating up. So I'm hoping that whether it's Bournemouth or whether it's Huddersfield, we can actually have a thrashing on our hands and really just – dominate for a full 90 like we should be hopefully the thrashing comes uh right after the huddersfield match where we have dan silver joining us on the podcast um we'll we'll be recording with him right after the huddersfield game actually but i mean that kind of brings us to the end of our script for tonight a little a long episode but well done as always boys you guys are in top form um and (laughs) i think i think we're definitely gonna make a definitely gonna make a, a cup run 
this season on the podcast. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yes. make sure you add us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can also email us uh, Romans Empire Pod at gmail.com. Andres, now is the time. Plug in your uh, brand new YouTube channel. Yeah, we're a week into it. Um, I apologize for not getting a Sheffield review. It just got kind of hectic. We'll be back on schedule after Bournemouth. But yeah, at Star, it's the Star Spangled Blues Chelsea channel on YouTube. You can get a link through the SS Blues underscore CFC Twitter. And yeah, just I want to hear what people want to see. I want to hear what kind of content you guys are looking for. I'm just getting started. So if there's a chance to kind of get your thoughts of what I should do with the with the channel before I get kind of set in my ways, it's now. So yeah, feel free to let me know what you guys think. Word on the street is if Andres gets uh, 500 likes on his next video, he will do uh, all of his videos for the rest of the month shirtless. So wow, there you go. <laughs> They'll be making of, uh... a couple of fake accounts to follow. Then <laughs> I need to see this. Yeah, well, you wouldn't be you wouldn't <laughs> watch be, uh, at your own risk. <laughs> you wouldn't be you wouldn't be much different from uh, a lot of Chelsea Twitter. Like some of those people that have like 16,000 followers but get like two retweets. <laughs> um, anyways, that's the end of our episode. Make sure you catch uh, our podcast next week with uh, Dan Silver. It's going to be a huge one post-transfer window, post-Suttersfield. Um, and we're finally going to bring on a guest that hates uh, Spurs more than I do. Um, so, yeah, until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>